Welcome to the Become Revolutionary Show, where we pull back the curtain and talk to successful entrepreneurs and industry leaders about their journey to success, the process of entrepreneurship, and the adversity they've encountered along the way. With your hosts, Charlene and Noel, and their amazing guests from all over the globe, you will feel right at home and part of the entrepreneurial tribe while hearing about the ups, downs, curves, and missteps in these stories and how it all ultimately contributes to success in business and life. Join us now as entrepreneurs support other entrepreneurs. Stronger together, further faster. Revolutionary show where we talk to you about how to get over those hurdles to become revolutionary in life and business. We're your hosts, Noelle and Charlene, and today we'll be talking about purpose, the importance of telling your story, and leveraging your passion for profit. Whoa, yes, let's talk. Let's talk. Today we're joined by our friend Blair Bryant Nichols, and he's the owner of BBN Creative Management for diverse and socially driven talent. He's worked with hundreds of authors, speakers, executives, celebrities, and entrepreneurs, helping them expand their business and message. So we are so excited to dive right in today, Blair. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me and great to be here. Fantastic. So let's get into it. So Everybody has a story, including you. So fill us in. What inspired you to help inspire other people to get their message out? Sure. Well, you know, growing up, I was a big reader, and I, but yet I never really understood where books came from, what the publishing world was all about until I got to college and got some awareness around the industry behind all these, these books that I love. So I had set my sights on getting into that industry when I graduated from university. And my first job, I just happened to land at the HarperCollins Speakers Bureau. So I didn't even know that this world of people out there getting paid to speak of of course, I'd been exposed to it at school and in other conferences, but had never really thought about it as a career or an industry. So that was my first entree to this world, working for a big publisher that was the first to have their own speakers bureau and getting to really work directly with, with talent. And from there, I moved on to a bigger agency that had a partnership with, with two additional publishing houses. So in the first five so years of my career, I ended up working with a lot of different authors and really seeing, you know, how how ideas were spreading through speaking, how books were getting promoted through through speaking. And that seemed to be a pretty logical connection. And everyone that's written a book has something to speak about, and there's always going to be an audience for that. So it all made sense to me. But over time, you know, I had so many clients coming in because every quarter each publishing house would be publishing a whole new slate of books. And so that means a whole new slate of clients and a whole new, you know, people to kind of integrate. And it, it got to be a little overwhelming. 
because I didn't like feeling like I was ignoring the vast majority of my so-called clients. You know, you hear kind of some of the jokes about talent agents and, and people who are ignored by their agents. And I didn't really want to become a cliche like that. So, you know, with my limited knowledge of the broader world of entertainment, I, I thought that the role of a manager seemed to be something that was more interesting to me and that would allow me to choose to work with the type of talent that I wanted. So that was an idea I had back in 2011, 2012. 12, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I had moved to LA for a job. I completed my MBA um, at UCLA in entertainment management, went back into the agency world, went into a different uh, company where I connected with you guys, helping build a brand new type of agency. And, and finally, 10 years later, I'm running my own management company. As you mentioned, that's for diverse talent and people who are socially driven in their business or in their, their personal pursuit. So a lot of the people that I've come across where I've really formed a deep connection is when I can tell that they're using their speaking or they explicitly share why they're sharing their message for something that's bigger than themselves. It's not a means to an end, uh, you know, for business development or just to make money, but they, they have an advocation. You know, one of my early bosses said, speaking is not a vocation. It's an advocation. So it's, it's, you have a message to share. You have a reason to get out and speak. It's not, you know, I don't get excited by speakers who, you know, have just studied sales books and just think, okay, I can regurgitate some of these things and be super dynamic. I'm, I'm excited about people who have stories who, you know, like this audience who've overcome some Something. And because I, you know, grew up gay in a Catholic environment in a small town, you know, where I didn't really feel very safe and secure most of the time, I often found myself gravitating towards, you know, maybe students who were different or minorities, uh, you know, women and teachers were always like, you know, co- you know, sources of comfort and inspiration for me. So I've naturally just been attracted to female clients and people of the LGBT community and people of color because I, you know, have a shared sense of purpose with them in, you know, wanting to expand beyond what opportunities were given to us and be able to do that for other people. So in starting my company for, you know, diverse clients, I just thought about, you know, okay, there's only so much time I have and bandwidth. And there's, you know, a lot of people out there that probably could use support and help, but I'm just going to try to narrow, narrow it down and work with the people that really light me up, that really help fuel my purpose of being there as their advocate, as someone helping them grow, you know, across their brand and their business and everything else. Um, because I know that I would have appreciated, you know, if someone had come along and, and done that for me, you know, or, or recognized, you know, other people that, you know, don't get those types of opportunities that are overlooked or have them. Right. And you can certainly tell that. I mean, just by going through your website, it's very apparent. What you're saying is very apparent. The types of people that you choose to work with. I saw Michael and Broken on there and Bethany Hamilton, of course. And so they have, you know, they've overcome adversity and they're trying to help other people uh, do the same. And so I, I, it's very clear to me what your mission is. But I have a question for you, Blair. So what in the, in the entertainment management, like, can you welcome me into that a little bit? So I, I kind of know like what speaking agents do, but are you coaching them? Are you, yeah. how, how are you helping your clients? What is management versus like a 
stage agent or a speaking agency? Absolutely. And it's a great question because I, I know for a lot of people, if you're new to this, you don't really, you don't really know who all the players are and what people do and what makes things different. And it is a little bit unique, you know, in the speaking world versus, you know, what you might think of in the broader world of entertainment. But in general, a manager is someone that's working with you closely and overseeing all aspects of your career. So what really excited me about kind of moving into a management role versus an agent is that I wasn't just brokering speaking opportunities anymore. I was getting to think about what's our bigger strategy? How are we going to leverage publishing books? How are we going to get you more media and other platforms other than just speaking in stages? You know, what are the plans with TV film? I've just been excited about what are all the different opportunities to get your message out there and get to focus with, you know, a smaller number of people on everything instead of a large number of people on just one slice of their business. So for me, a manager is someone that is a little bit more strategic, sometimes a coach, but really someone that's try that can see the big picture and help guide you towards your goals and objectives. So every client that I have has different goals, has different things that they want to accomplish, whether it's through publishing, speaking, or any other form of media. And I just really try to understand their, their true goals so that we are building kind of a strategy that supports that. And if it's, if it's mission driven, then we're going to, you know, make sure that we create space for pro bono talking and, and, and involvement in nonprofits. And, you know, so there's going to be a little bit of different, and that's, that means that, not everything is revenue generating. So you, from a lot of agents, they're not going to touch something that doesn't get them a commission. You know, as a manager, I'm thinking about what's best for the client overall. And that might mean spending an entire day doing podcast interviews or other things that don't generate immediate revenue, but you know what the return on investment and, and things like that are. So I'm just helping put all the pieces together and hopefully keep keep them moving along in the direction that they wish to go. I love that. It's so critical to have outside eyes on your business because sometimes I think that as entrepreneurs or speakers, thought leaders, we're so close to what we're doing that we can't almost can't see like the forest through the trees, right? So I think that's such a critical component to have just that those outside eyes, fresh eyes. And also like, I know that you've had, you've just explained, you've had so much experience. So even just your connection to other people, I'm sure is incredibly helpful uh, for your clients. So, <laughs> yeah. And in saying that, that holding the vision for somebody as they step into it, cause you can probably see what they can, like Noelle saying, they're so close to it. There's so much more opportunity than what we realize is available. Cause we haven't had the opportunity to step into it yet. So by you holding the vision, it's so amazing. They're like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. And you're like, yes, let's go. Let's do it. It's going to be great. <laughs> And in doing that, what I really love about you is that you're, you you went through this huge process to get to where you are <laughs> right now. And I'd love to hear from you in doing that scaling. What was the biggest lesson that you learned in that experience? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And in everything that I've described, as you mentioned, it's taken me kind of a lot of different paths to kind of get to a place where I'm finally sitting in my own business. And I, I think when I set out uh, to create this type of business in my mind, and it's still something I've expressed is I wanted to work with people that felt like friends that were people I wanted to travel with that if I happened to be with on a birthday or holiday, it would be like a welcome occasion, not like a feeling like I was away from, you know, my family and and other things. So I wanted like a deeper connection. But what I learned early on is 
you know, it's, it's tough to do business with friends. And sometimes if results don't work out the way that either of you had hoped or both of you had hoped, then it can put a lot of strain and stress on that friendship. So I've had a little bit of a chance to revise maybe some of my, my working hypothesis on what an ideal client relationship looks like, uh, for that reason, because, you know, it's, we've all been through business losses and you lose clients and you lose jobs and you start new things and that's okay. But it's a lot harder when they're a friendship and when your connection is, is so personal and deeper that, uh, parting ways can feel more painful. So I think for me, something I've just learned is not to not be friends with my clients, not to have a personal connection at all, but just to recognize the strengths of a professional relationship and, and, and when to, keep it kind of in that lane and not attach so much, I don't know, meaning or value to just the personal side of it. But, you know, my, my goal is that 20 years from now, I'm going to have some of the same clients I've had, and we're going to be able to all just, you know, celebrate on the journey that we've gone down together. And I'm sure we'll have a very deep uh, connection, but um, I think I was relying a little bit too much on, you know, an emotional connection that creates that sense of safety and security that I mentioned that now I have a little bit more confidence, just knowing that I can work with any type of client and they don't need to know me intimately for me to feel confident in being able to, you know, make my suggestions and do the kind of work that I do. Wow. That's great. I would say that Charlene and I have learned a similar lesson. <laughs> it's so important to talk about that. I don't think that we hear about that enough, but uh, there's definitely, you know, business boundaries to be created and, and having boundaries doesn't necessarily mean that you're mean or that you're, you don't have interest in, you know, in your client. So I love that lesson. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah. It's, yeah. What do you notice? I'm curious, but what, what do you feel separates you from other people who are doing similar work to you? Yeah, you know, I I think I didn't go into great depth in my resume because you can all look me up on LinkedIn if you're that interested. But um, I I do think I've got very unique experience in this field. Um, A lot of people I know I started with at an agency and they're still at that agency because it's a great industry. There's people when I started in, you know, 2007, 2008, I knew people who had been doing it for 20, 30 years. And I thought, wow, like that there's, you know, something to be said about the like, you know, kind of that consistency. So I know a lot of people don't have the opportunity to to move around or don't, you know, switch it up all that often. So I've had the opportunity to be on kind of multiple different sides, the agency side, now the management side, the one-on-one working with a speaker in-house, working with a speaker one-on-one out of house and, and working with a lot of the different kind of constituents that make up uh, the, the entire industry, I think is somewhat unique for me. I'm sure there's a lot of people with a lot of varied experience as well, but that's what I hope that I bring is my unique Midwestern gone to the East coast. Now the West coast perspective and all the other things in between. That's good. I, uh, it's interesting as I hear you talk, like for a lot of my years, I'm also a person that tends to bounce around and I don't want to leave any rock unturned and I want to seize every opportunity. And as they come along, I'm kind of like, a yes person. And I always felt maybe that there was judgment from, you know, friends that like things a little more stable, or I always felt like, Oh, there's no, all like doing a new thing or trying this out. And I love that you just highlighted that because for years I felt like it was, I, I wasn't, you know, consistent in one thing. I wasn't going to have a job for 25, 30 years. And, and I kind of beat myself up about that, um, inside for, 
for a little while. And I love that you just highlighted that as um, as a benefit and as a unique uh, perspective that you can lend to other people because you've gathered so many experiences yourself. So I hope that one of our listeners or more than one of our listeners um, feels that from you today, that it, it's not, you're, you know, it, it's not a bad thing necessarily to have that. I don't know. I feel like it's an entrepreneurial trait for, mm-hmm. for some now that I'm in this world, but um that it's not a bad thing just because you may not be surrounded in your home life by other people who, um, who value different experiences like you do. It's not, uh, yeah, it can be an advantage, not, not just a, a downfall. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah. I would love to know, I'd love to know, you know, there's everybody's gone through some kind of adversity in their life and, and once they've landed on what message that they want to share, with the broader audience and they're taking it into a professional career, be it coaching or they're going to be speaking or they're doing whatever they're doing, but they want to share it. What are some key things that people want to keep in mind when they're sharing their message, especially if it's one that's more triggering, maybe it's something like that could be really triggering for other people. What ideas do you have for those people so that they can share powerfully, really get their point across, but not have people be locked in with the shock of what was just said and have that second brain narrative going on? You want them to stay intact with the message. So, yeah, what, what thoughts do you have? Yeah, it's a, it's another great question. You know, I would say that it starts with your platform. Everything that you put out about yourself, if you're out there and your your you know passion is diversity and you want to really get out there and speak about diversity and and that's what you know you're all about, but every time you post it's about something else or it's just about pop culture or you're just sharing personal photos and you're not really, you know, helping people kind of see what your brand is or what your message is or like really what your story is. So I think that the more that people can walk into an experience knowing that maybe, you know, this person had an experience that's similar to yours that might be upsetting, but you're not completely blindsided by that. So just having enough presence on your website, website and on your social and everything else that people can kind of get the gist of your story. Like Michael, I'm broken. You know, his story before you ever hear his story, because he's been very consistent with sharing pieces of it and whatnot. So details are shocking. Details are upsetting. Uh, but at least you have a little bit of a taste for that before you kind of just are suddenly overwhelmed by that. Um, I think it's about the language and how you share your story and, there's definitely a way to alienate your audience when it's, it's something that's overcoming and there's a way to bring them in. And I'm not the expert on that. There's a lot of people who are great at that. Um, you know, but, but I think that's what it's about, you know, give the op, the audience an opportunity to go with you. Don't just shock them, you know, ease into it, like kind of set them up and and you can slow down and drop your voice and, and, you know, emotionally prepare them for Mm -hmm. what's to come. And I think you'll feel both a greater connection and a sense of gratitude, maybe from the audience that you're not recounting your trauma or sharing your adversity in a, you know, a in a way that feels disingenuous or in a way that, you know, feels dismissive that it might be upsetting to other people. So I think the more that you're able to just be conscious of the impact you're trying to make in any respect with the talk, the better it'll be received for uh, that audience. And and hopefully that kind of can mitigate some of those feelings um, that might come up from these really sensitive topics that, you know, can be very upsetting for people. 
So on that note, do you help people kind of write their story when they first come to you? Do they, do you ask them to share their story and then kind of help them know when to slow down or add emotion or anything like that? Like, do you kind of give tips around that? Yeah. And you know, I just can share what my own intuition and kind of experience yeah. is. I'm not like a trained presentation coach. Right. Um, you know, we all know Pat Quinn and others like him that are just really incredible with those details, with the, this presence. That's, that's never been my forte as much as like, okay, what's really the central message and what is, you know, how are we positioning you and all of that. Gotcha. Um, but I definitely, you know, have a sense for, you know, what can be tweaked and made better. And with, um, why do you think the best, tool for me is having amazing resources out there that are much smarter at the things that I don't know. So Mm -hmm. a manager, I think can be really helpful in helping you get the right digital marketing team, the right right direction. Yeah. And you know, you're not there to be the Swiss army knife for absolutely everything, but (laughs) where they might want to invest or where they really need, you know, additional support, I at least can, you know, bring them into my network that um, can provide that. I love that. So, so just spinning off that. So what would be three main staples that somebody needs to have if they want to start a, start a speaking career? So they may be already, um, coaching online. They may just want to level up their speaking from doing podcasts to live stage. Um, are there different resources that they might want to have, or can they use the same three staple foundational tools? Yeah, I, I think really the three staples that you need are a strong topic, you know, a very clear, concise topic that in two to three sentences, people understand the value, they understand what you're going to cover, and they understand why that would take 30 to 60 minutes or whatever to unpack. If you could include takeaways in that, even better. People really want tangible, actionable items that come out of your talk so they also can kind of understand really what the you know ROI for them may be. So have Having something like that, and you don't need a dozen. In fact, I'd encourage you to not have more than two or three so that people really get this is what you speak about. Mm. You can you can always tailor it. In fact, you should always be customizing and tailoring your talks, but having like the broad topic, having kind of like the what you're known for thing is um, what will help you stand out to people. If they go to your website and you're like, I speak on HR and I speak on sales and I speak on marketing and I speak on this and I speak on that, you know, um, <laughs> jack of all trades and master of none. So people get excited when you're like, I am the customer service expert. This is what I talk about. And I talk about how you turn your first time customers into raving fans. Like that might be it. And that's your thing. And that's what people want. Cause they are filling a session for customer service, not for a person who can talk about any area of business. So having that focus, having that topic like that, part of it. And then video people want an example. They need a taste for it. Now you, there's no more excuses. I used to hear from people forever. Oh, I don't have video or or, they didn't allow me to take video at my last event or it was private. It was corporate. It was all these things. Okay. Well, how many virtual events did the two of you do in the last two and a half years? How many virtual events did I do? There's probably thousands of hours of video out there of me speaking now, and you don't even need to pull from any of that. You can just get on zoom and talk and (laughs) it's a start. It's not going to be the best. And it's, you know, you're still going to want to get footage from an event, which you could also fake, which you can also just bring friends and family into a conference room and, and film. There's a lot of different ways that, that, you know, the value of that can be increased 
but start with something, but that's a single. Mm. So having that example. And the third thing is, you know, like it's, it's, it's the story, like you said, but it's, it's that background, like why you, so not just, you know, your expertise, your resume, but like, what is it? Like, what's your kind of spin on it? What's your unique, something special to it? So you, you know, you might be one of many customer service speakers and you might have great video, but what's going to bring it all together is that you were the first African-American to hold this position at a fortune 500 company. And you ended up, you know, reducing costs by 20%. I don't know what the special thing is about you, but everyone has that thing that like, you know, that spin on what will make you, you know, the flavor be a little bit different than everything else. So I think just starting with those three staples and trying to nail down for yourself, like where, where do you really want to show your expertise? What do you think is the best you know way to highlight your expertise? And then what is the thing that you think that you bring that's different from everyone else? And, um, and then get some great video of you just sharing that. I love that. And something is just really surfacing for me because one thing Noelle and I have run into endlessly, and we've encountered ourselves, we're known for different things, um, before we came into this world, like our business chose us doing live events. Mm-hmm. We didn't go into it going, yeah, we're going to lock arms and run people's events with them. No, we fell into it. We were doing our own and we found a gap and we bridged it and it just grew and evolved into something different, which is great. And now it's taken us to where we are. There's lots of people that are going through that. And that's what we hear, you know, what do we do during that time of transition when people have known you for one thing, for instance, like my book. People know me for writing my children's book. They know me as that person who shares inspiration. So I struggled for a really long time, just using myself as an example, because I know tons of people can file themselves into that box. Many people know me like that. And then doing that transition can be very confusing. Is there a way to highlight all of these different aspects? Because they all um, lend into what I'm doing now, for example, how, how do you get people to zone in on that mm-hmm. one thing, but still honor all the pieces of them that yeah. they're still currently doing? Yeah. And I think it's a great point. And it's not uncommon at all, not for authors or speakers to have, you know, completely different audiences for parts of their work or parts of their, you know, published work or whatever it may be. Um, so I think this is where having like that really clear profile online is helpful. Having a website that kind of can succinctly describe like what areas you cover, but you might, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a speaker named Jesse LeBeau and, you know, he, he speaks to schools. A lot of his work is speaking to schools and uh, you know, that's what he's been doing for a long time. So when you go to his website, it's kind of front and center, but he does also speak to corporate and he knows that there's a lot of opportunity in corporate and he and has taken, you know, some of the lessons of things he's spoken to students. But when you go to his corporate speaking topics, it's kind of its own page, you know, so it doesn't confuse this is for kids and this is for business. And then this, you know, it, it doesn't muddy them. It, the branding is consistent, but it just is the messaging is specific. So I think there's a way to kind of break things out, you know, clearly on, on your website and any of your platforms just to kind of show the different things that you may offer or that you are. And you might have just completely separate sites for different things. If it's not relevant for people to know about your children's books when you're, uh, you know, working with entrepreneurs, then that just might be a separate site. It might be a separate brand. You know, lots of folks have 
multiple brands under their umbrella that they kind of see differently. But I think there's an opportunity to bring them together through a central site that then can also, you know, spin off into those other things if it requires its own separate platform, which in some cases it would. And sometimes it's like developing that umbrella. Like it took Charlene and I, because we kind of stumbled into all of this, it took us about a year to step back. Actually it took Charlene getting the the big C to like the COVID to, to, to step back. And she was out and I was out not communicating with her, giving her her space. And we didn't talk for a week, which never, ever happens. And we're like, (laughs) and then we came back and we're like, oh, there's an overarching thing that's happening here. And actually all of our business, all of our businesses can fall under becoming revolutionary. And um, that, that was the birth of this show. And we're really excited about it. And it's okay, you know, that I have an interior design business over here that's rolling really well and is successful in our little area. And it's okay that we help entrepreneurs bring their business online because it's all in the name of helping people become revolutionary, right? So it took us a while. We were so niche down that sometimes it's helpful to, you know, remove the horse blinders and say, okay, what's going on here? What is the purpose? What is our pursuit? Like, what is the purpose behind everything we're doing? And we had, you know, I think we've told you this before, but we had to do the um, seven levels of why together too, to Mm -hmm. kind of figure out why, why we do what we do. And so, and listeners, if you haven't heard uh, of that, I recommend you do it. It was a very powerful experience for us, but um it was important for us to see the overarching purpose, um, what our mission was, why we're actually doing that. And I recommend that you, you guys hit pause, um, and, and figure out what your why is before you continue. Because, um, I think Charlene and I were stuck in that for a little while and we've encountered a lot of entrepreneurs that just keep, you know, pursuing the next thing or or going after the next thing, hoping that that will be it or that next ticket will be the thing. Um, but really it starts with what's in your heart and why, why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, it can take a week, it can take a month to figure out, but it's well worth every minute uh, as painful and as uncomfortable it may be. It's called those growing pains. But it's so it's so important, right? Um, but Blair, I wanna I wanna ask you, so why story? Like why are stories such an important part of our human communication? Yeah, I mean, I guess because they've been around since the beginning of our civilization. You know, before we had written books and printed things and digital media, we had storytellers. And the oral history passed down all of mythology and everything else. And I think innately, it's just a way for us to connect. It's a way for us to connect and understand our own past and our history. And it's a way for us to create something unique. I think so often, you know, we create art and media in search of universal because you want people to see themselves in it. But story is the time where we get to tell our unique story. It doesn't have, it can have universal applications and it can have things that everyone can find themselves in, but it's only for you. It's only yours. It's not a fable or, you know, uh, a lesson that is written down from Aesop forever. It's your own thing. And no one else can have it because no one else has experienced what you've experienced in the way that you've experienced it. So I I guess it's just one of the only ways to really be unique (laughs) in in a world where we all are trying to either stand out or follow the crowd. Uh, Your story is not something, unfortunately that can be shared by anyone else. 
Speaking of stories, you wrote a book. Can you tell us a little bit about your book before you fall in love? Oh, it's a series of essays. Um, so not, it's, it's just, I was the uh, sex and relationship columnist at my university and, uh, I was just in London and I started it when I was studying abroad in London in 2005 and I haven't been back since. So it was a very like weird experience going back to <laughs> London 17 years later in a very different state in my life. But yeah, um, a, a couple years ago, I decided to revisit some of those um, columns and write about kind of what I'm experiencing now. Uh, you know, what what I wrote about in my 20s is not the same as my feelings in my 30s and kind of just, you know, doing an update and that. But um, I've been working on um, an actual first book around uh, toxic, toxic work workplaces, bosses, my experience kind of navigating both my own, uh, you know, challenges as well as um, some challenges that the world brought to me. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I celebrate your courage in putting that book together. It's not an easy process um, writing the book. There's a lot that goes into it, but that'll be really exciting. I'm excited to hear about it when it's all done. Um, you. you let us know and keep us in, in the know with that. And, um, what, what are some, uh, what are some thoughts you have for how people can, um, who do you, who do you want to connect with you right now? Who do you want to work with right now? Like what's, what's next for Blair? Sure. Um, I'll answer that. And I did just want to pick up on something both you and Noel had, had mentioned. It's, it's seeing this gap in the marketplace and, and bridging your companies together to really serve that need. Of course, entrepreneurs are problem solvers. Speakers are really problem solvers, too. So I love working with speakers. You know, my mandate is diverse and, and socially driven is, is strongly preferred. Um, but I love the people who come with solutions, who have an intention to serve, who understand that going into an organization is a, an incredible opportunity for them and they don't treat it lightly. And they really believe that they can create change or make an impact. And, you know, those people, if they have that conviction, they're going to be very successful. So, um, Sometimes it's helping people get to that place and when they're jittery backstage and getting out there and you have to remind them that they're here to give a gift that the audience is there to receive and that it's, it's not a performance where they're going to be judged and critiqued. Like it's, it's all about sharing your gifts. And if that's your attitude and that's your approach, then I think we'd probably align really well. Oh, that's so great. So how can people connect with you then? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Blair Bryant Nichols, and I think I'm the only one, which is why I'm still using my full name. <laughs> it's such a great name. <laughs> Stands out. And you can also find me online at bbncreativemanagement.com and, and drop me an email there, too, if you prefer. That's amazing. You guys awesome. get off with our fun little game, Noel. We do have a fun little game. We finish each of these episodes with our rapid-fire questions. Blair, are you ready? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we never tell our guests about this. <laughs> fun and spontaneous. All right, here we go. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. What is your worst subject at school? Math. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give your young self? Uh, be kind to yourself and, you know, enjoy the ride. <laughs> what scares you? Financial insolvency. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Cats or dogs? I know the answer to this one. Dogs, yes. You have two, right? I do. I've got a black pug and a shepherd mix. Oh, so cute. Uh, Have you ever been in love? Yes, I'm currently engaged, too, so it better be a yes. (laughs) (laughs) And what is your favorite guilty pleasure? What is my favorite what? I'm sorry. What is what is a guilty pleasure of yours? Oh, guilty pleasure. I mean, I live in LA, so we treat TV like keeping up with sports, and there's probably just as much hours of TV as there are of sports, and I, I'm not keeping up at all, so I feel guilty for as much as I get to indulge in, but that's, <laughs> that's all I'll say. What's your favorite show then, right now? Um, I just started Loot on Apple TV with Maya Rudolph. Very funny. Um, so that's that's a great one right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Blair. It's always a pleasure and we really um, honor your time. And we're so thankful that you came uh, to share with our listeners today. You dropped massive value. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Congrats on launching this. And I can't wait to see who else you've got up. Oh, thanks so much. Any final thoughts, Blair, before we wrap up today? No, I just, you know, this is, this is the power of saying yes and, and being and showing gratitude and being part of a network where you want to see each other succeed. So, um, I'm just excited to see everything that you guys have been up to and so appreciative that you always come back and ask me to be part of it. And if I can ever do anything to support anyone in your audience, please reach out. I'm always happy to chat no matter where you're at in your speaking or non-speaking career. Um, it's, it's always a worthwhile conversation. And if I can help then I will do my best. Oh my gosh. Are you ever at home? Yeah. And a wealth of information, just so easy to get along with and super relatable. You guys, please reach out to Blair on social media or check out his website. Remember we're stronger together. We go further faster. Um, Stay tuned. You guys, we've got more coming next week. Thank you for joining us and remember become revolutionary. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Become Revolutionary Show. If you're enjoying what you've heard, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Become Revolutionary Show.